back ladies and gentlemen to another episode of sound collision with your host josiah selena aka joe memo all right today is going to be a day dedicated to the drummers even though i'm not sure if we have any solo drum pieces on the set today i'm going to introduce to you two of my favorite drummers on the planet number one being sheldon yoko all the way from south africa he has been uh, a rising, I, I don't want to say underground because I find underground kind of insulting. He's been a rising star uh, from the time I've known him since he was a, a kid. At that time, he was uh, had a big ambition for skateboarding, but then again, kind of forced into drumming at school and at church. And then he kind of fell into that line of thinking as he grew older. So he decided to master one thing instead of being a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Basically, which is the way to go for you kids out there who want to, like, you know, do something successful with your life. In the meantime, that's going to be also introduced to my other favorite drummer who comes from a band by the name of Falling Up. His name is Joshua Shroy. So we're going to be doing his band up against Linkin Park today. But before we get into things... I gotta get y'all reintroduced to Sheldon Yoko. As I was saying, Sheldon Yoko, I met him back in the day at Durban, South Africa. We used to go to the same school together. A very, very cool kid. I remember one time I failed him big time by trying to get him to be a star in my skateboard video, and it didn't really work out as planned. I still remember him as probably the only successful skater in the video to successfully nail, I think. I think he was attempting a Switch 360 flip, and then I think he was trying to do a hard flip to fakie on that little like incline by this gate in front of somebody's parking lot and then he had like this he had like this rise up kind of kicker in, a, in his back lot and it was it was pretty cool and then we did a, a interview while sitting on the on the rail box but it was really cool and um haven't talked or seen him in years um i did see him briefly when his grandfather passed away on the stage when we were in south africa at the time but i don't think um he saw me i think he he became too popular so i need to get a backstage pass enough talk let's get into sheldon yoko mr yoko how are you doing today how's it going cool to finally hear your voice man (laughs) it's been a while it's a long story so i'll try to give you uh the shortened version but uh i guess my my dad was really into drums when he was younger. Well, I say really into it. I mean, he played in like his church band and uh, that's actually how my mom met him. She walked into a hall or something and he was and he was playing. And uh, yeah, she was digging the vibe. So <laughs> drumming's always been a part of my life in some way. When I was about three, uh, my parents got me a little kit to mess around on. And um, it eventually got, um, well, I think we gave it away eventually. And then when I was about nine, I think you might remember this, then I, I started playing percussion for my school band. I really wanted to get on the kit, but I wasn't good enough yet. And so I eventually had to fill in for a guy that was sick on the drum kit. And I think that was that was the beginning of it. And I basically didn't stop. Like my friends and I all started jamming a bit and stuff. And, and then I just kind of ran with it. They kind of got over it. Yeah, it became, you know, the school band and then like played for like my church for a bit. And, and then um, obviously things started moving 
a little bit quicker and started playing for like my first, uh, I guess if you want to call it proper band, you know, um, we started playing actual gigs and stuff. Yeah, from there it's just been about a million bands in between. <laughs> and then in about 2013 or 2012 I was playing, I, I started like trying to do it professionally and um, make some money out of it, try to see if I can make a living out of, out of this, um, out of playing this instrument. And I ended up playing for about eight bands in 2012 at the same time. So it was like, it was chaos, <laughs> trying to keep up with everything. Like a couple other gigs happened in between there. Um, oh. I'm really giving you the shortened version here. So. Yeah, eventually I got asked to fill in for a band called Die Hevels Fantastis, and they're quite a big Afrikaans band in South Africa. And uh, I did it. Uh, Ed drummed in my lounge for about a week to learn the songs, and we had one rehearsal for about an hour and a half. Yeah, and then the next day we went and played for 4,000 people, and it went really well. So uh, when their drummer left about six months later, I. Um, got yeah. asked to come back for a bit and um, kind of took over the, uh, the the drum throne from there. From that, I also landed the François van Koek gig when he started doing his solo album. And we've been doing that for nearly three years, three years with Yervils now and uh, nearly three years with François. And uh, yeah, it's been absolute chaos, but I'm loving it. <laughs> In a nutshell, that's the story. Since you brought it up, that's a curious question of mine. How much brushing up have you done on your Afrikaans since I last oh, saw you? <laughs> No, so I understand Afrikaans much better, but I realized growing up in Durban, it doesn't do you any favors in that regard. So, yeah. <laughs> so I've had to, like when I first started playing for Hevels, I had no clue what was going on because I never really needed to speak it with friends or whatever. And now I'm really, I'm really trying to make an effort to speak it better, but I, my accent is just so ridiculous when I try to do it. The Durban surfer skater accent doesn't really complement the Afrikaans of Cape Town, but uh, <laughs> so the pressure's on. I, <laughs> I feel you, bro. So anyway, what has been like the pros and cons for you now being a professional drummer from like an indie or hiring standpoint? Like, first of all, how do you get in contact with your bands? How do bands contact you? What would you say has been the best and worst experiences being an independent drummer making making income on your own at the moment? Yo, it's difficult. I think when I, when I moved to Cape Town, I thought I'd give it a shot here and I was going to study at a college for five years. That was the plan. And when I started, I did the first term and I was like, I don't think this is really the best move for me. And I wasn't really getting what I thought I would out of the college. So I actually dropped out after the first term. And um, my parents understood and they were like, well, you know, obviously you don't want to waste money. They were helping me with um, the tuition fees and whatever. And uh, yeah. so I literally dropped out and um, we, I don't know if you guys, you guys don't have Gumtree there, you have Craigslist or whatever. Um, so I, yeah, I, I basically jumped on Gumtree and I was like, hey, I'm a session drummer, just called myself a session drummer. And I was like, I'm gonna try my best to like build this thing. I tried to run everything kind of like a business and take it very seriously from the beginning. Yeah, as it went along, you know, you end up playing a really weird gig for like a hundred bucks for somebody. Uh, 100 bucks at rands in dollars that would be pretty sweet <laughs> yeah when you, you do like all these basic rehearsals and maybe some really really chilled sessions and whatever and slowly you start to spread your name around and um, if you're delivering um, which I, I guess I was at the time you get a call back or you get recommended or referred 
onto someone else or whatever, or referred by someone else, uh, bouncing around a bit and getting into a whole bunch of different bands with different genres and stuff, and that pushed me. In terms of the education, I found a guy called David West, and he kind of, he broke me down <laughs> and built me right up again. So I came in there with, not like an attitude, but I was like, I'm this rock drummer, I got this thing going on, my long hair, just crashing these ride cymbals. And he was like, that's cool, that's cool, but let's read like, this basic chart and let's start to explore these different right. styles. And I eventually ended up doing my grade eight with him through Trinity. And then I did my associate diploma and then the next year my licentiate diploma, which was like the hardest thing I've had to do on the drum kit. Uh, and yeah, wow. I, passed, I, I passed that. So uh, as that finished, I kind of started playing for Hevels. So it worked out really well. It was tough, like like the hardships, uh, if that's what you're asking about. Like I, I almost gave myself a deadline. I was like, look, this performance thing is awesome, but if it gets to, you know, like June and I haven't got a steady kind of gig, you know, it can kind of keep me afloat. I'm gonna maybe try and invest everything into starting a drum school or like just um, push the education thing more. In April, I got the call from Hevels. That was a complete game changer. It was just like the rest of the year, I was traveling and and then the Francois thing, like I said, came along and that made things even more busy. So I was like just hanging on and I was like, <laughs> this is crazy, but crazy. the timing was what? insane. Yeah. Which is actually the elephant in the room that I promised myself I wasn't going to bring up. Ho hopefully you don't take no offense to this, but I remember back in the day, as much as me and the other kids admired your drumming, I think it was the gossip in the school. Like, why is Sheldon Yoko like the two drummer drummer like <laughs> you would take like two sticks and only play like the two drums i forgot if it was to the left side or to the right side and you would barely make use of all the other drums and then like 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 the other guy told you when in the story you were just sharing you were kind of like stuck in a genre if you didn't end up in a rock or punk band i would have felt like very sad for you <laughs> Like the fact that you've matured so much and have been able to incorporate all these other genres, which I've probably played your drum cover of Treasure by Bruno Mars to death. But I've, it's, it's just been I've been surprised, you know, at how much growth you've had. So, like, what do you think was um, the most intimidating or humbling thing you had to do in order to, you know, give up that rock pride. I don't know, I don't want to put it as pride, but yeah, you know, yeah. for the ability to explore other genres, like what made you so open to doing that? It's so weird, I, because now these days, I mean, I get my fair share of rock. We, we play a rock set every weekend, not rock set. I mean, we play a rock set <laughs> every weekend. And I mean, when I get home, I don't often actually listen to rock anymore. It's crazy. I, I try to chill out. Music for me serves a very different purpose uh, when I'm listening to it at home now, you know? And, um, and I have nothing against rock. I've just heard such a lot of it <laughs> in my life that um, right now I'm just like kind of in a very different space. Um, and it also affects the way you write a rock song if you're not listening to rock the whole time. Like going to David West for lessons, he kind of expanded my musical vocabulary and he kind of got me interested in different genres that I wouldn't have usually listened to or been a part of. Like when I was learning some jazz pieces, like I would go to the local jazz club and watch the open mic night every, every Monday night, like alone. I would just roll in there and go hang out and just try educate myself because it's like, you just got to throw yourself into it, you know? And uh, when I started doing stuff like that and learning how to play softer and have fun playing softer instead of just being this like tub smasher, <laughs> I started to really enjoy the instrument so much more. 
and uh, that's where I am now. Like, um, I started having a lot of fun playing these little acoustic gigs when I wasn't um, necessarily getting the good gigs, <laughs> if you can say that. Yeah, I yeah, so I really started to make the most out of playing soft and just enjoying that environment. Deeper understanding of dynamics on stage and, you know, I'm not, uh, I think I'm less of a one-trick <laughs> one pony nowadays but i um i really try to to keep progressing not necessarily in a physical manner like i i really try mentally to understand more about what i'm doing and why i'm doing it you know and actually the thought just came to my mind that if thrasher magazine was a magazine for drummers sheldon yoko would definitely be on the front page but <laughs> but definitely um i wanted to ask you one final question on that another memory you just brought back to my mind is that especially when you were talking about the genre thing i remember back in school being the the lonely american kid i would kind of like pretend in everyone's genre just to impress people so like if i was around sheldon yoko or sheldon timlet i would only listen to like metal screamo or thrash music to impress them and then yeah. <laughs> if if i went over to mr david's class i'll pretend to be like the boy band or r&b guy i was unknowingly training myself for the multi-genre person that i'd end up being today um, exactly. you know which i which i take unashamed you know humility or pride in now but uh back then it kind of became like like a guessing game of you know trying to impress other people while now i use it as like a strategy to you know win the minds and ears of other people by being like a chameleon through different genres um, exactly. but but yeah and then i always wanted to be like even though i'm a rapper i always wanted to be like the guy that you could approach for any genre not just hip-hop in light of that what kind of uh mark would you like to leave on the world with your drums with your drumming skills in the future and then what do you think is the most important lesson you've learned as an indie and multi-genre uh, drummer now from all the different artists and bands that you've worked with and then we'll transition uh, well right now i'm trying to figure out like what music means to me and art in general like it's definitely a stranger time in my life because i used to just want to be the best drummer you know sit in my room and become the best drummer and i've realized now that i don't want to be the best drummer i want to be a great musician and a great artist even that is subjective you know so it's just something that really brings me satisfaction and if i can do that and show people that you can have a good time doing it change the way people think about an instrument like drums it's, it can be such a noisy instrument but it can be such a beautiful instrument as well that's one thing on its own but how it contributes to the bigger picture like how that groove that you worked on fits into a song and that gets people's heads bobbing like that's what i'm interested in now i don't really care about you know, playing a million different things with all my limbs, like that doesn't make any sense to me. There's not many people that really enjoy that anyway. So I want to be able to connect with people on that level. Things change every year. I, I kind of go through different phases and stuff and I'm just really enjoying the ride. And at the end of it, if I can kind of leave a trail of things that kind of define my career along the way, I uh, hope people, I uh, hope people appreciate it, you know. I would, say, yo, I would say you deal with a lot of people in this industry. If you want to call it an industry, I mean, you create your own network and you create your own circle. Like, you deal with a lot of people and I think there's something, like, if people run it too much like a business, they can lose out on a lot of personal, like, like I know my friends in music so well now because we share this thing together, you know. And um, right, you have to right. kind of be a team player. Like I was never really good at like soccer or any of those things. That's why I got into skating and drumming because I was like, I can do these things and I can manage it completely on my own. And this, and in this scene, like you kind of have to be a team player and accommodate everyone and have fun with everyone and don't be like the wet blanket in the van or whatever, you know. 
I, I, I would just say being a positive energy around people is really important. Uh, and the effect that that has is, it's crazy. It's crazy to see. And when one guy in the van's feeling down or whatever, everyone feels it, you know? So, yeah, I would say uh, if somebody's coming up and um, they, they're checking out this whole thing, I'd say the, the personal aspect is probably 60% of the job. I actually had this chat with somebody earlier today. It's probably 60% of the job. You know, problem solving is probably 30%, and then actually playing the show is probably 10%. The one thing I've learned being in, in music, which directly ties to what you're saying, is that if money is your only motivation, then you don't truly love music. Like, music, music has to be pretty much, like, the one thing you would be willing to lose food and sleep for, and then also the one thing that you feel is an international language that can unify people. Yeah, and then definitely, I think, two questions that every person who wants to enter music or any type of field um, should ask themselves should always be what would I do for the rest of my life if money wasn't a thing to work for and then like what would I do for the rest of my life if I had all the money and resources in the world to make a difference I feel like once a person answers those two questions then they know exactly what they should be doing in life like when you had that epiphany or ultimatum when you were in college that you you noticed like this wasn't really getting you where you needed to go and which we're not trying to discourage people from going to college but at the same time if college is not for you there's a million different ways you can make your dream that's not the only way to lock your dreams and that could get you to the rate of success that you need to be so anyway definitely definitely. so transitioning here what have been uh, your thoughts on Linkin Park over the years, and how did you respond uh, to the loss of Chester? So, Linkin Park has been a love-hate thing for me. Um, when I was <laughs> younger, I think pretty much when we, when we met, I guess. Like, yeah. I was quite into that album, uh, what, Hybrid Theory? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I listened to that thing like crazy, and I really got into it then. But also, um, I, I guess slightly more aggressive music at that age was really, in a weird way, kind of appealing to me. You know, you started starting to, like experience all these different things and you're growing up and so it was a little bit of that teen angst I think um, <laughs> that, that I was attracted to um, but over the years I don't know they've definitely had some good tracks I haven't been a fan of all of them and they definitely had a bit of a dip in my mind uh, but they've always put out quality stuff it's just like I, I'm not saying it's bad it's just like I ne- didn't necessarily love all of it but yeah man they've, they've got a crazy discography. Chester I don't know, it came as a massive shock. It seemed very weird, but it's been interesting seeing people's reaction, their approach to depression and anxiety and stuff, because I know that's quite a hectic topic these days, and it just became very real when that thing happened, you know? Regardless of people's opinions about the band, I mean, he is a really talented guy. Well, he was a really talented guy. I don't know how Sheldon's going to feel about this, but in my book, I think over the years for me, Falling Up has been the biggest competition to Linkin Park in my opinion like if people see Linkin Park as the staple of experimental rock I would beg to differ if if you checked out Falling Up's discography but anyway we're gonna dip into that a little bit today so as you know we already have covered the rules if you like one song over the other you just say which one and explain why if you love both you say positive tie and why and if you hated both negative tie and why so, let's get into round numero uno, as we say in Espanol. I don't know how you say it in Afrikaans. But uh, <laughs> uh, round number one is going to be, we're going to be starting with Burning in the Skies by Linkin Park, and that's going to be followed by Good Morning Planetarium by Falling Up. All right, let's get into it. Thank you. 
All right, ladies and gents, that was Good Morning Planetarium by Falling Up, and that was going up against Burning in the Skies by Linkin Park. All right, my first thoughts on these two tracks are, I like Burning in the Skies a little tad of a climax feel that it had a little bit of a a climb as it went along. Both of them are very simplistic melody-wise, but from a production standpoint, I felt that even though Linkin Park's had a more tested sound quality sound, I think falling up's track was a little more layered especially with the synths in the beginning there's very few experimental rock songs i've heard that had that type of effect on the on the synth keyboard it sounded like this big sort of booming bass effect that they put on the synth and it really made it stand out in the track brought some presence and and a well layered effect to it yeah so yeah, it's very few tracks I've found. I know my collection is probably like 20,000 songs, but it's very few songs I've heard that had a synth that sounded like that. So for yeah. for a sense of uniqueness, I'll applaud Falling Up for that. It does hit a sort of safe pop rocky spot when it gets to the chorus and the bridge section. But as an all-around layered experience, um, I definitely enjoyed it. Burning in the Skies, to be honest, in the moment sounds like... A better song overall but a tad bit forgettable i felt like the melody was only slightly stronger in falling up songs so in light of that only by the slightest edge i'm gonna give it to falling up i was actually gonna agree with you i think out of those two i mean they were good two to put up against each other but i don't know that <laughs> falling up was quite nostalgic for me uh, it reminds me of the stuff I used to yeah. listen to when I was like 15 and I was really into that vibe. Uh, Burning in the Skies obviously has a tad more, um, I think if you look at budget for production and stuff, you can kind of hear that. Falling Up but was by no means miles behind, you know. Uh, I, yeah, no, I was really into that. I think Falling Up takes that one. Uh, if we both agree, I think it's yeah. a no-brainer. <laughs> so that's a unanimous Falling Up win, ladies and gentlemen, on round number one. Let's get straight into it, round number two. This is going to be Robot Boy by Linkin Park, and that's going to be followed by Contact Complexus by Falling Up. Here we go. Thank you. 
Contact Complexus by Falling Up, and that went up against Robot Boy by Linkin Park. I think they're both in the same vein tempo-wise. Um, the only thing I say about Robot Boy is that if that was re-recorded with like a Chinese or Japanese female vocalist, I think it would be perfect for a Final Fantasy video game soundtrack. I think Contact Complexus would pretty much do the same, but I think Jesse Rabordi's vocals sound more well-suited for Final Fantasy than Chester's, because uh, Chester's has a little more roughness to it, while, in my opinion, Jesse Rabordi sounds like a nasally, atmospheric Bieber or something. Production-wise, I found Contact Complexus, again, way more layered. I gotta give a shout-out to uh, Ted T's production. Ted T, one of my favorite producers. In my opinion, he's one of the most underrated producers uh, of all time because he switched over from hip-hop to rock to experimental rock, and uh, I felt like this remix was a special gem for him to do for Falling Up. Again, no diss to Robot Boy's production. Special, like... I think it lived up to its title. Like, you you could imagine, like, a robot with headphones on in a music video listening to that, like, bouncing around maybe in slow motion. I'm a very visual person, so that's what I see in my head. Or maybe, like, playing, like, a Portal 2 type of video game. With that being said, once again, I keep saying it, y'all, and I don't mean to be biased, but this is why I keep trying to put Falling Up out there to all you Linkin Park fans. I think Jesse Rabordi has a tad bit tighter control when it comes to his conceptual melodies his concept of melodies even though it still has kind of mainstream appeal or refrain into it mixing that with his original experiments i think he's mastered the art of making a melody that sticks with you a lot longer especially again on he shines i think on choruses better than dare I say even Chester. On this particular one again, a big fan of both bands. I'm not trying to be biased here, but I gotta once again give it up to Falling Up. What about you, Shell? Once again, I'm gonna have to agree with you. I think those two, it's tricky, man. Like I, um, like I said, I, I try to focus on being a well-rounded musician, but I am drawn to rhythm and uh, groove, like kind of immediately. Falling Up, that tune was great. Like I, I was enjoying it a lot more. Maybe it's a mood thing as well, like like we were talking about Linkin Park, how some of the songs are great and some of them are okay for me, and I, I guess that one was okay. But in saying that, I will say that the you can still hear on every one of their albums uh, or any one of their tracks how um, how good their production is. Like it really goes to show how consistent they were. But I will say in terms of a, a song, Falling Up was really much cooler for me, and the reason why as well is because that one is very similar. I don't know if you're into Deftones at all, but uh, there's a song Entombed that I'm really, really into. And I uh, actually saw that live and it was like such a game changer for me. Uh, the emotion in that song is incredible. And this one reminded me a lot of that. And uh, it's just a different take on a, a very similar kind of vibe. So I'm going to have to give it to Falling Up as well. Let's get into round number three. We're going to be starting with The Catalyst by Linkin Park. And that's going to be followed by... Exhibition E Poison by Falling Up featuring Rachel Lampa. Cool, let's check it out.
All right, that was Exhibition E Poison by Falling Up and Rachel Lampa, and that was up against The Catalyst by Linkin Park. Let's switch things up a bit, and we'll put a shell in the hot seat for starters. This one is the complete opposite for me, where The Catalyst is such a killer track, man. Like, I, I think it's uh, the, the production and everything, the whole vibe, the aggression in that track is really cool for me. I will say the groove in Exhibition, yeah, the, the groove in there is really, really cool to me. It is not a bad song at all. But uh, yeah, I think this this is one where Linkin Park really shines, and this is kind of like more of a signature sound. When I think of Linkin Park, it's more this vibe than the, uh, the previous tracks. So yeah, without getting too detailed, I think this one's an obvious winner for me. Uh, I don't know how you feel, but the catalyst is definitely the one. <laughs> I would say the the catalyst has a more monster sounding effect to it that I think would stand out more in a live setting. Even though I think the catalyst would make the entire band shine, while I think Exhibition E Poison would make Rachel Lampa and the drummer shine. To be unbiased, I think you would rather have a song that makes the entire band shine. And I remember another person I had on the show, his name is MCBC. When he heard the Exhibition E Poison track, um, he basically said that it sounded like more like a high quality interlude rather than a song in itself. The remix did give it that kind of interlude feel. So I would say, judging on that, I might have to give it by default to the Catalyst as well. Although Exhibition E Poison is more heavy in rotation than my normal playlist, I have a deep sentiment for that track. I don't know why it's one of my favorite falling up tracks of all time. I felt I felt I found it more interesting, even though Catalyst was a little more um, by the book by Linkin Park standards. I think if we're going for a, a holistic view here, not just personal opinion, for sake of making the entire band shine, the Catalyst. I would say puts Linkin Park on the step up there. So that would be a catalyst win, meaning uh, Linkin Park finally got their first point for the contest. We're going to dive into the final two rounds. Here we go. Round number four, Moonlit Neon Predator by Falling Up featuring Soul Glow Activator, the former lead singer for Family Force 5, now turned producer. All right, here we go. Yo, my name be Bon and this be the remix of some really fresh guys called Falling Up. So kick that track so low activator. So this is real, the window seal, it cannot heal. All the secrets are here now. All I've known, my covers blown, the ages shown. You know that they all pick the hope. Neon lies, the fate of night, the fear of heights. The complex and effects start. Breaking tide, the place so white and early light And water only from his side
Predator by Falling Up and Soul Glow Activator up against Blackout by Linkin Park. Go ahead.
floating down As colors fill the line We look up from the ground In fields of paper white And floating on You pass us in the night A future gazing Blackout by Linkin Park, and that was up against Moonlit Neon Predator by Falling Up and Soul Glow Activator. Cool. Uh, with this one, verse and pre-chorus of Moonlit was really rad for me, but the chorus was a little bit of a letdown in terms of where it took me. Do you know what I mean? Emotionally, the the verse and um, pre-chorus were super cool. I thought they were onto something really nice, but yeah, I think on this one I'm gonna have to give it to Linkin Park and Blackout. It's really, it's really similar. Well, it reminds me a lot of uh, AWOL Nation. I think How at the Moon is the yeah. song. Do you, you know that one? Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of got that vibe, and I really like that kind of dirty, like, sort of rap, but rock, but not like like Limp Bizkit kind of vibes, you know? It's kind of a cool, fresh approach. And I think for Linkin Park, it was quite a, a bold move, you know? But the bass line and the progression is just amazing. So, yeah, I'm going to have to give it to Linkin Park Blackout on this one. What do you think? I think this time it was reversed. I think this time following up, met uh followed like the the structure of a song by the book while the blackout kind of went out of structure <sighs> do i give more points for more appeal or more points for focusing on a niche audience and pleasing them for the experimental purposes yeah it's tricky <laughs> i gotta go ahead and give it a positive tie but what happens is if i give a positive tie your vote overrules so that means Linkin Park gets this one, which I always love when this happens. It's a dead-end tie as we get into the final round. So let's see who will be the tiebreaker. And I had to throw this one in for your sake, uh, just so we could get at least one hybrid theory in there. It's going to be In the End by Linkin Park. <laughs> I don't know why, it doesn't even matter how hard you try Keep that in mind, I'm designed this rhyme to explain in due time All I know, time is a valuable thing Watch it fly by as the pendulum swings Watch it count down to the end of the day The clock takes life away It's so unreal, didn't look out below Watch 
Watch the time go right out the window Trying to hold on to didn't even know I wasted it all just to watch you go I kept everything inside and even though I tried It all fell apart What it meant to be will eventually be a memory of a time I tried so Oregon Trail remix of Are You Real by KJ52 and Falling Up. Here we go. Then that I seen you, I've been through a major change Believe 
got a spill cause it's so plain I finally feel I can make it through anything It don't matter what they speak now or if they hate They can't keep me down no more cause I see your face Now or never will I be ashamed Cause I'ma stand strong and never bend this way I know that it's real, it's gonna be okay I hear you speaking in my ear, this is what you say I know you're real and it's so plain Are You Real, Oregon Trail Remix by Falling Up and KJ52, produced by the former guitar player for Falling Up, Joseph A. Kisselberg, and that was Up Against, In the End, by Linkin Park. All right, since he is the special guest, I'm just going to put him in the hot seat one last time. Sheldon Yoko, your thoughts? Okay, so uh, Are You Real was a really cool, really cool tune. It's got an interesting vibe, a very similar one. It's kind of cool that you put them up against each other because, uh, yeah, they have, they're in the same vein for sure, but like we were talking about Linkin Park's songs that were massive hits and the ones that really worked and I mean when this when this track came out in the end like this was a game changer I mean this is probably one of the biggest songs of our time (laughs) so it's very difficult to be to not be biased on this one but I think I'm gonna have to give it to Linkin Park again on this one obviously the only reason I may not do and again, Sheldon didn't do anything bad. But the only reason my way I might not do what Sheldon did and give it for legacy purposes is because by default, in the end, we'll always win. Let's just say, for example, which is kind of what I try to do as a gist of the show. Let's just say I was just hearing those two songs for the very first time. 
Me personally, I think Fort Minor's delivery was more interesting than KJ-52's, but I found KJ-52's story more interesting. That's for the rap parts. For the chorus parts, to be honest, I know the world's gonna hate me for this, but even though the chorus of Are You Real is a little messy, I find it more catchy than In The End. And now from a production standpoint, it's very hard to top the production on In The End, especially with those keys. But to be honest, again, I think the production was more interesting on the Are You Real track. Again, albeit a bit messy. And one extra thing I'll give to the Are You Real track is when they quickly transition from the guitarist to that piano, even though it was not a smooth transition, I'll just use a phrase that Ari Davis, one of my former co-hosts back in the day, she used to be a background singer for Stevie Wonder, Mariah Carey. She said, when it comes to certain transitions, Sometimes they're so rough, it, it was almost like it was done on purpose to wake you up. And yeah. I gotta admit, if you felt disinterested in the track by the time it got there, at the second it drops, it makes you really focus in on what KJ52 is saying because of that drop and the piano effect. For more transitions, more replay value, even though in the end we'll never get old, I'm gonna put myself on a plank for the pirates to maybe drown me. <laughs> And I'm going to say, I'm going to give that one to KJ52 and following up. I'm going to be the outcast on this one. So, that means, <laughs> that means that was our first opposing vote of the, of the entire contest, which means the contest ends at a deadlock tie between Linkin Park and following up. I'm going to ask Sheldon his final thoughts on how he feels about that. Did following up, what, were they a worthy enough opponent for Linkin Park? All that jazz and how much time he had, sorry, how much fun he had on the show. Yeah, uh, well, I think given the selection, it was, I think it was very uh, well put together. I mean, the selection kind of, you know, puts them in the same race, even though there are different bands. Uh, yeah, so I guess I guess I agree with the type based on the way we, <laughs> we, we scored it and judged it, you know. But uh, we all know how big Linkin Park's influence has been on like music that we listen to now, like how many bands were influenced by them and um, Falling Up, um, although they're a great band, it's weird that they haven't had more, you know, had more like exposure and more, more success because um, they also have some great tunes. So yeah, I'm cool with it. I think that's fair. <laughs> the last thing I'll leave you with on that is that even I got a shock because, in my opinion, popularity-wise or influence-wise, no one will ever be able in the experimental rock genre in my book to be to to touch what Linkin Park has done. But I remember it was a iTunes. This was not like a fan review. This was actually the people who work for Apple when they did their iTunes review on one of Falling Up's albums. They said this may be the only band that could out Linkin Park, Linkin Park. Uh, but of course, it would p take people actually going through their entire discography to see if that's really true, because you can't just out Linkin Park overnight. You need actual time spent with the band in order to make a crazy decision like that. But because I know both bands so well, I would probably be one of the very few that could actually agree with that statement on occasion, of course. Anyhow, it's been such a pleasure having Mr. Yoko on the show. I'm just going to give him a moment to give any last-minute shout-outs, and then we will peace out of here. Yeah, well, thanks, first of all, for you uh, having me on the show. It was super cool, and I think it's a really cool thing you got going here. Uh, so, yeah, and I wish you all the best, first of all. 
Uh, it's been fun, man. It's cool to cool to chat again. It's been way too long. So yeah, and I'm and I'm stoked about yeah, what's fun. happening in your uh, music career and everything. And it's it's cool to see everyone progressing. You know, um, obviously I'm gonna have to give a massive shout out to my family for putting up with me smashing pots and pans for like ten years. <laughs> <laughs> really, my parents have been so ridiculously supportive. Really, I'm speechless. Actually, like how cool they've been about everything. And I mean, friends. You know, there's a there's a lot of people that are involved in um, everything that's going on at the moment. But they all know who they are. Uh, my friends in Thieve and Diego Fantastis and uh, Francois van Koek and Dijkvaar. And then I guess I would have to say my endorse. <laughs> if I'm allowed to do a shameless plug here, yeah, my endorsements. The the guys oh, yeah, that have really given course. me a proper a proper chance to to do this thing full-time like they, they helped me so much minor symbols uh, Evans drumheads Promark sticks Roland electronics and Mars music like I really I really have all the time in the world for those guys and um, yeah uh, I re I'm really stoked that they're they're still um, supporting me and yeah like I, yeah I have to just say thanks and yeah everyone that's supporting me online and stuff like it's crazy it's crazy to see how things have developed and um, I hope you're enjoying the ride as much as I am because uh, it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And yeah, that's 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 it. <laughs> Keep Mr. Yoko in your prayers. If he ever picks up a skateboard again, that he'll nail that fakey 360 flip he was trying 12 years ago. <laughs> also, I'd just like to give a special shout out to him for being such a awesome guy, taking the time out of his extra, extra busy schedule to make this happen. So we're going to give out a piece to Mr. Yoko. Please end the show with all the social plugs where people can follow you and your drumming career. Peace out. Take care. Thanks for listening to you guys. <laughs> cool, cool. So uh, Instagram is just at Sheldon Yoko. Same on Twitter. Uh, I have a, a page on Facebook, Sheldon Yoko Drummer. And I'm about to launch uh, yokoclothing.co.za and uh, yeah, that's going to be something I'm kind of separating from my own name. Even though it is my name, it's going to be a, a completely independent business so i'm really excited about that thanks man thanks for having me so stoke brew cheers oak i'm trying to get my south african english lingo there shout out to sheldon timlet on these next two tracks under oath with reinventing your exit and it's dangerous business walking out your front door take care you guys it's been real it's been fun all right shell that's about it thanks dude uh let me just stop this recording before anything happens <laughs> watch me
Because I've turned to white There's no turning back tonight Kiss me one last time Thank you.